Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We've talked about happiness before, but not yet thoroughly deconstructed it. Turned out we didn't need to because a recent article by a Finnish psychologist did it for us, just not on purpose. We interpret this article on the secrets of happiness through the lens of identity and reveal the three components of happiness that beautifully correspond to core truths and service in personhood, sagehood, and sainthood. These are the three primary strategies employed by nearly all humans that are tragically destined to fail. And we'll also talk about how these failures are, in another way, necessary successes. We complete by discussing the spiritual metaphysics related to quantum entanglement and why the universe started to expand seven and a half billion years ago. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. I am so happy. <laughs> so it's about two things. One, that Stace is here. Hello. And uh, two, that we're going to be talking about happiness today, one of my most favorite subjects that uh, um, surprised and delighted both Stace and I in this last week when an article was going around the interweb about Finland being home to the world's happiest people. I mean, just the context for that that's news, like newsflash, these people over here are the happiest, like, and you need to get your act together. Like, yes. here's here's what you here's what we all can learn from these right. happy people. And there's a picture of someone smiling. And yes. just the paradigmatic frame of that is, uh, mm -hmm. I have a feeling reaction to. Any place you want to start to uh, start with today, Stace? Well, um, one of the first uh, premises or assumptions of identity way back in the day was that the most pervasive drug of humanity to me was the state of happiness. It is even more pervasive than its second, the second, which is codependence. Yeah. Um, but happiness is what has been framed as basically the a number one priority of, um, of, of human life. And that the whole Finland or one of the uh, northern countries, Sweden, uh, Finland, uh, and um, what's the other one? Um, Norway, Sweden, Nor Finland. Norway, yeah. And Denmark is also a Scandinavian country. Sure. They, they all kind of buy back and forth of being contented uh, and wonderful uh, cultures, apparently. So, But happiness is, was, is the most pervasive drug uh, that uh, identity would, would offer uh, afflicts. Human, do you have, uh, because of course, how we define it is really important. Do you have a, a definition for happiness? Um, yes, uh, it's a state of unexamined contentment. <laughs> Boy, that's a, for, for how sophisticated your definitions usually are, that one really gets right to it. The It's unexamined. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah unexamined content, uh, state of uh, contentment. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I had oh, some really awesome. Oh, I awesome. never got that the word content is in contentment. That seems to yes. be very much intentional there. Oh, exactly <laughs> right. Oh, see, there, that, that's why I settled on a simple one, because that right there, content and contentment, mm -hmm. uh, 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 will go together too too much. I couldn't resist, so I had to go simple on that one. Because yeah, to me, that's how I hear happiness, is it's an internal state inextricably mm -hmm. intertwined with external circumstance, yes. i.e. content. But uh, 
and and unexamined at the same time. There, there are subversions of happiness out there that still define contentment with no matter what the uh, external circumstance. But by and large, for yeah. the average consciousness CQ uh, on the planet, uh, it's it's completely dependent upon having enough food, shelter, money, um, uh, companionship, all those external things. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there are those who go a little deeper, but um, it's still. And this harken back, harkens back all the way to one of our first 10 or 20 episodes about the nine elements of the paradigm. Uh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's one of those first five steps, I forget which one, is the ultimate state of consciousness for the paradigm. Yes. And happiness, I imagine, would be, well, I guess self-actualization is the ultimate state for, um, for secular psych humanism. Yeah, well, for psychologically minded people, sure. But um, they at least examine some, uh, some kind of the, the, the value of some content uh, for self-actualization. But it, it's still, it's just a funny uh, subset of the general idea of happiness. So. Well, and it's also implied in the Declaration of Independence, I'm pretty sure, uh, yes. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's um, uh, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So happiness yes. is the the, uh, the ultimate state of conscious in the very non-religious, secular paradigm of democracy, right? Everybody mm -hmm. deserves exactly. to pursue happiness, at least, and they should ideally have that. Well, except if you're Josh Hawley, uh, who is a Republican uh, um, uh, uh, congressperson, who just the other day um, uh, decided to re rewrite history and quote, uh, um, who was it? Not not Hancock, uh, Matt, not Madison, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, he quoted John Thomas Jefferson as saying that America was founded by Christians. Oh, no. Uh, and, and he might have seen a, um, a documentary about uh, Jefferson. I think it was Jefferson, one of those signers of the Constitution, mm. um, that, that was about uh, this, uh, one of the signers about uh, uh, that was Christian uh, or that was supposedly Christian. But he just came out and said it. Uh, he just, just misquoted history altogether. So in that sense, um, uh, the, the Constitution itself, even though it's written and there's actually black and white words that actually mean something, mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it does because uh, the, uh, far, the far right uh, will make up whatever fiction they want to, uh, to secondarily um, uh, uh, fudge their reality. So, yeah. Mm. Do you want to, to pick apart this article a little bit, or should we say, I think we'll find our way through the deconstruction of happiness as we go. So yes. when, when I read this, I was like, you know, anytime I see headlines about happiness, I have this reaction of like, oh, here we go with the happiness again. <laughs> and last year it was, oh no, it says for six years in a row. So, I mean, like, yeah. it's like they're defending a title for six years <laughs> in a row. Finland holding the golden cup, the happiest yes. country in the world. And so this is yeah. written by a, uh, a local who um, uh, wanted to explain um, as a psychology expert, expert she says, yes. I've devoted my career to teaching people how to incorporate Sisu. That's the uh, it's a concept of way of living that has been interwoven to Finnish culture for more than 500 years, culminating in their six year reign, their dominance. <laughs> Of world happiness, oh, God. which is, you know, oh. it's going to create an influx of um, people and businesses and everybody's going to want some of that happiness, man. So well, there's a per perfect example, just a short one here, mm -hmm. how IQ and CQ are not correlative. Um, yes. 
Right. Uh, so they, this person, I'm sure, has a very high IQ, but the consciousness quotient, the CQ, if you have high CQ, you're going to have high IQ. But if you mm-hmm. have high IQ, doesn't necessarily at all mean you're going to have high CQ. Ah, because the soul is more meta, because the mind is inside the soul, not the other way around. And the soul exactly. is consciousness yes. meta. Uh-huh. That's right. And all we do on this plan, we don't have a measurement. Identity offers a measurement of CQ, but there's no other paradigm that distinguishes CQ from IQ that way. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. So the first headline is find a purpose outside of yourself. Uh-huh. And um, that just screams Judeo-Christianity to me. But it also fits for the East, too. I mean, this is a, a very old, old um, tradition that is based in uh, th- what hit me about this is altruism. Altruism, absolutely. And there's a transcendent aspect of it, too, but that's, I don't think, what's meant here. And she gives us an example. Uh, we can endure. We can endure. Listen, this is green talking. <laughs> According to research from psychologist Angela Duckworth, we can endure so much more when we work towards something that contributes to the world beyond ourselves. And what a great example. On the surface, it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Being able to endure, being able to uh, be resilient, being able to cope with the challenges of reality. But from identity's point of view, we would say, why are you having to endure things? Mm-hmm. Don't do you not want to thrive here? That's the question. How do we thrive, not how do we endure? Absolutely, endure is already a negative frame of uh, of an uphill climb of, of human consciousness evolution. When it, yeah. uh, it it's it, it, we would call it a downward climb, an inner outer to inner downward climb to find. Uh, whatever it is that sources our travail or our enduring or our false states of happiness. Yeah, yeah. it just automatically assumes that uh, life is shit to some degree. Yeah. Life is hard. There's no way to get to a place where you can thrive. And um, as to use identity's expression, you can't cannot get to heaven as earth. That's completely off the radar. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, it, and implied in that are all sorts of possible religious connotations like we endure this life in order to get to heaven or we endure it in order to learn lessons for some time or somewhere else or, you know, but it's not about the here and now and, and actually mm-hmm. thriving in it. And yep. I just find it so interesting just in one word. Oh, yeah, endure. But that would completely appeal to people yeah. who've already bought into a paradigm that sees earth as basically some level of hell you know some superficial level of hell that needs to be gotten through um, well i i i I can't remember where but um the uh the the northern uh, countries there finland norway sweden they're they're um not big on god uh and so Mm -hmm. There's a lot of much more secularization of their government um, yep. and of their of their lifestyle um, quotients, you know. So in that sense, uh, uh, they would not be burdened by uh, um, uh, a religious uh, point of view that way. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that the like there would be so much investment and it goes on to the the second one, increase resilience through training. That's the second. Um, Headline through training through yes. training. This is so the first one's altruistic, but then the second yeah. one through training. It's quite a lot of investment uh, into self and self discipline for uh, an, uh, a realm that eschews capitalism in a lot of ways and has very high tax brackets and high yes. suicide rates as well, which kind of goes ag- 
goes right. against that whole uh, happiness thing. So the people who kill themselves are not necessarily influencing the data so much. No, I guess not. No. Uh, the demographic doesn't catch them, I guess. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, increased resilience through training. Uh, she says, I trained nearly every day for two years. I laced up my running shoes even when I didn't want to. I always showed up rain or shine. And, of course, this would land in most people of uh, as, wow, look at the self-discipline, which is a uh -huh. term I no longer use when I work with people <laughs> at all, or Thank myself. God. Yeah. Uh, we'll maybe talk about why. But, um, yeah, uh, the, it will land in people as um, well, resilience, like we talked about in the first one, um, self-discipline, commitment, dedication. Uh, but identity would say, well, yeah, but motivated by what? Yes. And um, so there's commitment to other altruism and then increased resilience through training is like commitment to a task, losing oneself in the task, doing it even when you don't feel like it. So the will is like getting you to do the thing that you don't want to do. And that we would say is control I, yes. I'm offering. It's like Absolutely. overpowering any internal moving parts that go against what the will and the control wants. Exactly. And then and then there's this feeling of empowerment. And we would say yes. that the feeling of empowerment is the feeling of control pushing yes. down successfully another day an old wound um, yes. that, that they don't want to be revealed. Exactly. And of course, we would say in identity um, uh, that a control is a wound-based uh, dynamic. So anytime training one's consciousness uh, or words training and consciousness evolution <laughs> are in a sentence i just have to burp uh, to get the gas out uh, uh, produced from my third chakra uh, mm -hmm. where i have to release a little excess and oh god is it do people still believe that stuff it's like yeah. do people still smoke cigarettes you know it's yeah. i still can't well, well you know i still remember uh -huh. vividly i was about six or nine months into uh, the early version of EBE, uh, the Identity 1.0's uh, psychotherapeutic um, modality. And I was a really, as you know, uh, intimately, I was a really serious martial artist. Uh, I got my first black belt in jiu-jitsu in college and then um, got a black belt in Aikido after that. And, um, and I remember vividly taking a, uh, a pretty bad fall one night not too bad, but like, you know, the falls are not supposed to hurt and this one hurt. And, um, I felt not physically injured or even in much pain, but I felt emotionally shaken up. And mm. that was a very new experience for me because I'd been doing mm. EBE. And mm -hmm. so I, I felt it, a month, even six weeks prior, I would have just kept going. Cause it's like, whatever, you know, uh, what did, what did the line say? You know, do it even when you don't want to. So sure. something shifted in me where some I felt like, uh, something doesn't want to keep training. Mm -hmm. And so I got off the mat and I found some scrap piece of paper in the mat room and a random ballpoint pen. And I started to write with some of my parts that mm -hmm. I had access to. And within just a few sentences, voices in me were saying, I don't want to do this anymore. It hurts. And I'd never emotionally felt what I was doing to myself physically because the me that was doing it was controlled. The point wasn't to feel more emotions. The point was to feel less. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. And in that moment, my 
own my, there was enough gold in me that wanted to feel my emotions because I'd been choosing that again and again that eclipsed the control that was using the martial art to push it down. And um, I think within a week or two, I was done. You know, I took some time to unpack it a little bit more uh, and talk to the parts. And that was how it ended. That was how my 12 year martial arts career ended. Yeah, that's I I love to hear that. I'd never heard you unpack that all the way before. I have my correlate to that, Joseph. I feel so, you know, brotherly with you that way is um, working for my black belt in karate. one day, the sensei um, said, today we're going to learn how to um, not disable, not uh, disempower, but we're going to learn to kill someone in three minutes, uh, three seconds, three mm-hmm. seconds. And this, that moment, that day, I don't I have no idea why all of a sudden I, I was horrified and nauseous that I was part of such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I stood up and bowed and walked out and never went back. Mm-hmm. A similar co- correlating kind of, uh, I'm done. Uh, uh, I didn't realize in all my, tra- uh, the training of it, and I was really good at it. I was a gymnast in, in high school and stuff. So it, uh, it, it was just so natural to me. I, I loved it. I could kick over my head. It was pretty, and pretty close uh, to my body and it was really nice. But that moment, it just all the, all the dominoes fell together and I walked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you feel what you're doing. And, and the resilience yeah. training thing here is it's the exact opposite to not feel what you're doing. Yes. And, uh, you know, um, just before we got on uh, with your stepson was uh, uh, chatting mm-hmm. with us um, before we hit record. And uh, he brought up the fact that this is a whole other story, a whole other rabbit hole. Oh my God, it's still crazy to think about. So I'll start at the beginning. So I live in Hawaii and feral pigs are a really big issue here. And um, we're starting to tear up the ground, killing young trees and just causing, they may have killed a a feral pig, maybe has possibly killed some of our ducks. We still don't know, but that's the best explanation we had. So they were starting to cause problems. My neighbors have been um, trapping them for a while. And uh, after the ducks were died, it became personal. So it's like, all right, that's it. We're going to see if we can trap and kill some of these feral hogs that are like a real environmental menace. We hadn't thought a whole lot what to do about when we got it. Um, there are people you can call who will take it and you know butcher it and sell the meat and whatnot. Certainly, it would go to good use. So the day finally came about, I don't know, 10 days ago where uh, we caught a pig. It took about six weeks, and um, as it normally does. But we finally caught a pig, and, that, and it was intense. And it was ramming the corral trap that I had made. It had bent it in some places. This was cattle panel stuff. I couldn't bend it back with pliers or my legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I, I shot this pig in the head uh, from just a few feet away, and we felt it. Um, my, my lady and I felt it and she, and she wept when it happened. I mean, it was a beautiful, magnificent, strong animal. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we were going to try to skin it and process it ourselves, which neither of us had ever done. We watched some YouTube videos. Oh man, it took nine hours from, um, shooting this animal to putting it in our freezer. And it was one of the most alive, um, surreal, emotive connected experiences I've had. It's like, it starts to bring tears to my eyes. And what Yannick was uh, saying, uh, your stepson was saying um, 
beforehand that he had done some hunting. Uh, it was involved in some hunt in Germany once. And he said, yeah, like nobody felt anything at all. Mm-hmm. And I can see why, because yeah. feeling it made yeah. it way more difficult, way yeah. more difficult. And mm-hmm. I can see obviously why the repression of emotion would happen there because the, the feeling what we were feeling made us less functional. Yes. But it also made it so much more meaningful and beautiful. Mm. And when we eat this pork, oh mm. man, it's like eating pure energy. It's like I feel a harmony with this animal still. And like, oh, yeah, because yeah, wild, wild uh, game, of course, is always much healthier for uh, to consume when, yeah. you, when you do it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it feels super alive. And like all of this Native American and other cultures stuff, like the um, ritual around that, like suddenly it's like, oh, I get it. Like why there'd be these big festivals, because there's a huge amount of energy and uh, yeah. a sense of life. And uh, yeah. it's just intense. And. But when people don't feel that they're doing this, then they're 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 blocking that that soulfulness is going to get blocked out because yeah. the soul is emotion, and if you repress emotion, your soul isn't engaged, and you miss out yes. on all that. Yes, exactly so. right. And how this circles right back to happiness, uh, right? Mm. Is uh, when when you're training you have to repress emotion as you just said right and that's going to give you a pseudo feeling of control over your own humanity and it's things that don't exactly jive with what like you said what the will wants to do in any moment so uh all of the aliveness that you describe in, in doing what you did with the boar um, all comes right back to here that is robbed when you're training your way to happiness right yeah and training implies a constructive building on top of yes in order to have a certain experience rather than a deconstructive um deconstructing your way to soul where the aliveness already is already is Uh, thanks for bringing that dimension because uh you're exactly right about training identity always offers that it's subtractive not an additive Mm -hmm. uh a dharma where we're just um on deconstructing like joseph just said uh to where you're already alive but the the um distant um uh of planets uh you could say on, on the inside are are so far from your soulful aliveness that things are endimmed and and mm. numbed uh and so we free though that aliveness by subtracting things that pro- prohibit that aliveness from becoming embodied so, yeah. yeah, and then there's that phrase like I do this because it makes me feel alive. Yeah, already it's like, well, you are alive. So yeah. the question is, why is it you're not feeling alive? And this is why you know so many extreme sports people, especially climbers, yeah, what they're dealing with is deep depression, and then yes. they risk their life because it makes them feel alive, and that's actually the control aspect. Yes injecting a false feeling of aliveness it feels alive because it's like look at me i managed to to not kill myself another day yes exactly right it's so sad um Mm -hmm. because no one's running down the technical aspects of uh of uh uh, the dead climbing up to the dead zone twenty one thousand feet oh god everest no, no one's downing or, or criticizing that. It's just what's the motive uh, if to feel alive? And they all say that I get a sense of wonder and aliveness. That means how dead you must feel inside. And yeah. depression, of course, is a relationship with that deadness. Uh, 
So they, they, they're compensating for feeling dead inside uh, or are deeply depressed if they need to risk their lives to give themselves a shot of adrenaline happiness or aliveness, right? And the proof is they yeah. you inevitably need it again. I remember on that Everest show, yes. I think I may have said that on a previous episode, but yeah. just how my jaw dropped when this guy wanted to go uh, it was like his third time to the top of Everest or something. And, 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 um, I forget what he did. It was some new thing no one had ever done before. And he's like, yeah, I just need to do this. I never did it before. And then, you know, he does it and he gets to the bottom. Um, maybe I, I can't remember whether it was without oxygen or he was going to go up one side and down the other or whatever it was, uh-huh. but he did it. And like, he, this was his goal is like, yes, this is what I'm gonna do. And then I'm going to be done. And then, and he, and then after he did it, it's like, yeah, I think, I think there's just one more thing I need to do here. I'm going to come back next season. And, and like, yeah. there it is. This is my, one of my favorite quotes of yours. You can never get enough of what doesn't really know nourish you yes right and that's the uh, process of dead ending and that's how people learn most often that that happiness is actually not really serving them yeah it takes a lot of lifetimes for younger souls for sure yeah so yeah so training control is control uh, training is control in disguise yeah so so far we have find a purpose outside yourself that's altruism in a secular disguise possibly secular possibly not uh, increase resilience through training. That's control. Um, mm-hmm. So that covers sainthood and then personhood <laughs> in order here. Uh, and then the third one was a little subtle. Uh, three, be gentle with yourself and connect with nature. Uh-huh. Uh, and it starts, I used to think that in order to be successful, I had to be hard on myself. And I was like, wait a minute. You just said, you just talked about lacing up your running shoes on rainy, rainy days when you didn't want to. Right. This is different. This is not being hard on yourself, but there's a limit to how far you can go if you don't balance toughness with compassion. So Uh now we have some metaphysical balancing and she says, I got injured once during my training period. I'd been, I'd been running 30 miles a day for 12 consecutive days. There is not a personal trainer on the planet who would say that was healthy. 30 miles a day for 12 straight days. No way. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, uh, a marathon, at the end of a marathon, the immune system uh, of a healthy person equals that of, uh, of an HIV AIDS person. <laughs> Is that uh, true? That's, I read that and I had to read it three times. Uh, uh, an immunologist or somebody uh, said, don't, don't do marathons, which are what, 26 and a half miles? So she was yeah. doing more than a marathon every day for 30 days. This person needs therapy. It's, Even uh, if you were training for a hundred mile race, I don't think it would make sense to do that. I mean, there, there's no recovery time. I mean, obviously the person's under 30 because over 30, there's no way you could recover from that. Yeah, that's right. Um, wow. I mean, geez. Okay. Uh, so um, I got injured. I'd been running, yeah, I had to ask myself whether to quit or push myself even more. But I decided on the third option. I let my body heal. Okay, how is that actually a third option? That's that's not quitting. That's just taking a break. Not really a mind break, mind blowing thing. But the no. point was here, and this was fuzzy. And then at the end, this is walking and hiking in nature is, becomes mm-hmm. part of our culture, and it helps us find an inner calm and a sense of happiness that serves us during hard times. So I categorize this one as transcendence. Yes. Because it's mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, allow the injury to be what it is. Don't push, don't mm-hmm. pull, just allow it to be. And it's um, a, a very low level dilute version of transcendence. But for me, it fit the sagehood bill. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. So there's correlates there. Uh-huh. It's uh, always so interesting to me is um, that last one. Uh, it's a half a rabbit hole, um, but uh, short a short one that uh, I've always, I just put this together in words recently uh, to my brain, uh, to, I registered it in my brain directly because I'd experienced it for so many years without any words. But there's, as you know, so much of the of our of our self help stuff or our spiritual paths say to um, they use the word noise when it comes to the natural human condition is really noisy, really noisy, and you want to get quiet, you want to get still, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's some good reasons for that. But but for me, um, it's a, really interesting that uh, uh, there's a correlate here uh, where I really realized that that. I always taught that silence was not the absence of noise, but the presence of that which allows us to hear noise. Yeah. And that there's far, far more, 92% of consciousness is silence. And only 6% is noise. And what an interesting thing I realized the other day, last week, actually, uh, that that's very similar to dark energy and dark uh, dark uh, matter. Matter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, Not dark matter, especially. Mm-hmm. That uh, that proportion is the same. Um, uh, dark, it's dark. We're saying um, uh, there's stillness and, uh, and, and uh, um, quiet. Uh, stillness and silence, and there in the astrophysical, uh, it's uh, it's it's dark, uh, not shining, not light, full of light, right? So in that sense, uh, that last one, you, when you go to nature, you know, there's far more silence than the hubbub of the natural human condition in urban areas, of course. Uh, Amsterdam's a very noisy place, uh, for example, and mm. um, so uh, in that sense, uh, you do get a little more silence. Um, but that's just putting icing on a badly recipied cake, uh, yeah. this whole thing of happiness. So it's also yeah. this space thing also applies to the celestial bodies in our solar system. You know, like the, the, when they show the solar system, like the models you build in third grade mm-hmm. or whatever, where, you know, the sun, the earth is like six inches from the sun and the next planet is three inches uh, mm-hmm. later. I saw a video once where somebody actually did a, it. tried yeah. to do a scale in a city. Yeah. You needed an entire city. And they put, right. they started with like a marble as the sun or a tennis ball in the tennis center ball. of a football field. And by the time uh-huh. they got to earth, they were outside the stadium, you know, like yeah. st- and, and then miles away to get to yeah. Pluto, yeah, um, yeah. you know, is so much more space than we can even conceive of. That's why sure. the, the radio waves that were released and out on whatever that uh, projectile was in the 70s is, you know, yeah. just a little bit past Saturn, I think, by now. And it's been yes. 30 years or whatever. Um, so there's a I think it would be cool to talk about how each one of these um, uh, the, these uh, uh, ingredients for happiness, how it's a truth and service, what the actual true aspect is of it, because you just spoke to it. You know, yeah. the getting still in mm-hmm. um, in sagehood, it's not about stilling your mind where the like you ad- identified as the mind is trying to still your mind, which is the number one trap that people get caught in in meditation. Yes. Yes. So many people, I, I tried meditations, I couldn't quiet my mind and then they can't do it and then they quit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, for God's sakes, it's not about quieting your mind. No. No. But it's so confusing for people because... Yeah. A quiet mind is the result of 
anchoring your attention into the quietness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rather than trying to quiet, but like that's <laughs> a very backwards. subtle distinction. Uh, uh, subtle enough to drive a paradigm through. <laughs> yeah. right? yeah, that's right. absolutely. I love how you put that. Uh, um, and by for for most people um, in the te- in at least in the sixties and seventies when meditation started to grafted into Western culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was about watching your mind until it quieted down secondarily. And that watching is because uh, you watch until it gets it tones down by itself. You don't try to make it quiet. You don't try to push away thoughts. You watch the train circle and circle and 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 circulate and circulate, and eventually things quiet down and stillfulize down. Mm-hmm. But that's from watching. <laughs> uh, that's what you're supposed to do in real meditation from the East, not not the Western version. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and of course we add this extra slices you, you always get a big smile out of you know the the mind uh cannot enlighten itself um, yeah. it cannot it cannot the mind itself can't silence itself there has to be another agent upstream that is that can the outside of the mind that can do operations upon the mind the mind uh, in our picture of things uh, can't can't enlighten itself and that's the biggest hole in buddhism especially right. non-dual based of uh, the biggest so the- hole so the shallowest level would be the mind trying to silence itself, the mind trying to let go. Um, right. I'm looking back at the back of this article. Um, no, she didn't get that specific. But the the mind trying to create an inner calm that um, yes. is not related to any outer content. That's all seen yes. as um, more evolved than you know being wrapped around the axle around some kind of issue. And you know, every time I hear someone say "let it go," I I want to say, "Do you know how old that idea is and where it came from?" Like I want to be like the paradigm police. Do you know where this? Do you think you have made that up? Do you think? Do you know how many millions of people have tried that? out and fail that you know taking yes. it where you think it's going to take you so yes. if that's the most superficial layer of using and, the mind in a control-based will-based vector to control the mind and right. then the next level down would be watching the mind yes. with the pseudo intention not really the intention but an expectation that eventually that will cause it to quiet yes right is it's that a char- passive it's passive. It's more passive. Uh, yeah. But does that characterize pure Zen? I mean, I know transcendental meditation. TM would say that, right? Well, um, Zen. Depending on your Zen teacher, yeah. uh, pure Zen in, is really hard to find. Uh, I know. In, in one sense, um, the purest form of meditation is Zen is to look for the meditator. Yeah, and find that it can't be found. So you don't really thoughts, uh, watching thoughts or rising mental images or whatever. That's more TM. Um, uh, But you literally search for the self that you search for the thinker. Right. And not not try to watch thoughts. You yeah, and that's for- Ramana Maharshi, Ajashanti talks yeah. like that, Adida, yeah. that that class of people. Right, and that's a whole other deeper level of uh, of a more honest and uh, direct uh, um, transcendental perspective. Yeah, still transcendence, but going yeah. to the level of the meditator, yeah. not the meditating, the yes. the experiencer, uh, not the experience. Exactly. Seek the meditator and find that you can't find it. And then just to round this all the way out, one level even deeper than that, now we're four levels deep, would be identity's uh picture that says, look for the meditator in this way. 
And yes. where, what I, I know Adishanti's teaching pretty well because I went pretty deep into that. And mm-hmm. I never heard him say, look, uh, seek to find the fear of not being, like identity would yes. say. I never right. heard him say that. He spoke to it and, say, and said some people experience that, some don't. But mm-hmm. he never appreciated what we would say. It, that's the difference between someone who's on a transcendent arc versus a healing yes. fear arc. Those are two yes. very different things. Completely different things. So yeah, the, the, when you can't find the meditator, if you don't find a rising terror of not being because you can't find it, then you're not you're not really getting down to uh, deeply seeking the meditator. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. You just have to stay with it longer. Uh, so younger souls uh, can't find that uh, usually in their first three or four uh, lifetimes where they non-dually enlighten, I guess. Uh, so that's our explanation of why not a lot of people feel that. Oh, so, yeah, I've heard you say this before. So initial enlightenments for people tend to be transcendent. Absolutely. Right. In fact, uh, we're teaching a whole new rubric uh, for Uh um, the qualifying for enlightenment, and that is healing the terror of not being. That has not been uh, out there at all uh, for thought since uh, axial age, Hinduism and uh, uh, esoteric Buddhism Buddhism that came out of it. um, it's never been taught. So that's for the eldest soul uh, demographic, the ones who have been here more than three or four hundred uh, lifetimes. Uh, transcendence isn't going to cut it uh, for those folks. So. Well, you know, and to make a coarse comparison, it's similar to slaughtering a pig. You can feel yeah. what's happening and it will lead you to a certain outcome or you can do it and not feel it. You still right. end up with pork. Yes. Either way, <laughs> there is an enlightenment in either way, but the experience yeah, is. is very different if you feel your way through it. Exactly. Uh, that, that your mind is able to go tabula rasa and then you sort of, that is your guiding north star and everything that comes out of the hole in your face uh, uh, after that in the teaching. Um, but uh, uh, there's lots of different ways of uh, getting to the same destination uh, over lifetimes where it deepens and deepens and deepens. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever thought of this before. Does, the tra- does a transcendent algorithm of enlightenment somehow stop the experience of the divine? Well, ask yourself how many enlightened gurus uh, have a devotional <laughs> relationship with divine being. Yeah, it, almost none. And even Ramana Maharshi, he, you know, there's the great Mahatma and there's God. He's used the word God. He can't find, he can't find any way to adjudicate those devotional and non-devotional teachings. Oh, but of no, course, because transcendence it's the, will because it's the soul is the one who relates with the divine. And if you throw right. that soul baby out with the bathwater of your personal right. self, there's no one left to be relating with the divine. No, no self, no God. And that's, again, pure, pure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when you're when it, when you don't have experience anymore and experience has you, there's no one home to have a relationship with no one home on the outside. Uh, and oh, that's boy. why all relationality, which is just astounding to me, all forms of relationality in pure Zen-based Buddhism are nonsensical, uh, that they're, they're irrelevant because there's no real me relating with any real other. And uh, then, of course, some of those traditions go, well, you, we make up the whole universe in our heads, you know, which is the worst dead end of all. Uh, the most At least it's coherent. Well, yeah, it, just because, <laughs> how many times have we said just because a uh, paradigm is internally metaphysically coherent doesn't mean it has relationship to reality. Yeah. But boy, that fools a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, fools a lot of people. Wow. Okay. 
All right, so let's cross um, transcendence on the list. So transcendence, to summarize then, the truth in that is um, it's actually about the, boy, it's hard to sum up. <laughs> Maybe people got it anyway. Can you sum it up? I just well, ran into a, a cul-de-sac in my own mind. Well, uh, I would simply say it's in the right direction, and that's the truth. Um, yeah. Uh, but but it's a it's a um, a pretty juvenile uh, layer of attempting to um, either find enlightenment and know God or find God uh, in a sainthood way. Yeah, so, well, it's like the, it's an attempt to manufacture the serenity that yes. healing the fear of not being naturally creates, and it turns it so, into a state that you yes. have to maintain yes. rather than something that you couldn't change even if you wanted to. No, that's right. No. Good, good words there, bud. So there's, thank you. Um, uh, okay, so that's that's the number three. So now let's go back to the top with altruism. What's the true part of finding a purpose outside yourself, and why that essentially works? Well, the, there's it's a really good truth because um, the best the best answer to that is to illuminate its opposite, and that is uh, egotistic narcissism. Mm -hmm. um, if you're simply self-involved, uh, 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 you're, you're patently and obs observationally neurotic to the point of psychosis uh, with a certain orange-colored uh, political leader. Um, <laughs> but, but in that sense, uh, when, when uh, the, you're, what's sold in that, those kinds of paradigms is that, that serving someone outside yourself, altruism, is the cure the cure for narcissistic egotism when it's just the other side of the rainbow of the same neurosis uh, that you make other more important than self versus this one you make self uh, egotism narcissism you make self more important than other the in the opposite is always exactly um, equal to that which it says is the other side of the universe from it's just another form of the same neuro neurosis uh, there's no and between self and other in those two formulations. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah, right. You see, so so that's the altruism is um, is just as neurotic as as, as uh, narcissism uh, because you make a dichotomy out of self versus other, and that's uh, all manufactured in the head. Well, that's a that's a super deep cut. That's skipping to like you know the existential uh, yeah. metaphysics of it. Awesome, I love that. I didn't even sure. think of that. Where I was going was the classic. Um, green baby and bathwater thing of like, uh, well, I don't know what to do with this mixed up, um, mixed bag of healthy motives and unhealthy motives. So mm -hmm. I'll just put my attention on other and not have to sort it out. Sure. Well, that's just a downline, yeah. diluted form of what I just said. Yeah, yes. totally. Yeah. It completely resonates. You're exactly right. You just um, you you got to it's all you're negating something. That's not that's not the same as subtracting something. Oh, uh, the negation see? versus subtraction fallacy. Right. Nice. Negation is horizontal. Subtraction is vertical. You can negate uh, opposites or negate offset. Uh, that's all a horizontal. Uh, oh, dynamic. my God. Is that what our protection mechanisms are trying to approximate with negation? Yes. Yes. Holy shit. That's I never exactly thought of that. Yeah, that's it. You got it right there, Joseph. Um, that's why the, the, the cross, even though it's gagful that they sell Christianity uh, uh, through a, a make-believe lie of the deity, 
ness of uh, the person who hung on a cross uh, uh, two thousand years ago. Um, the cross, the horizontality is is the level of negation, and uh, the um, vertical is the, the uh, dynamical bandwidth of subtraction. Wow. And so you need both uh, in some ways to, um, but but at the in the end, negation in the horizontal is um, is uh, an earlier stage. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. all people can do most of the time is negate their way to some internal peaceability. Uh, but anytime you negate, you're stuck in a in Split. a thesis, thesis antithesis yeah. uh, dynamic, and you've got to go to a metathesis that the top of a triangle there, and you don't solve theses and antitheses in any negative way. You've got to go to the metathesis that includes both. But if you're a mind. Not- it, but yeah. that's exactly what the mind does because it operates yeah. via resistance and exclusion and negation. Exactly. This yes. versus that and all of that. Oh man. That's yeah. what a great example of the, um, the true part of the truth and service. And it just yeah. makes me think that you know, there's so many things that if all you contributed to society was just this one idea, this one mm-hmm. truth and service of like, no, 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 it's not about negating. Right. It's about subtracting. That alone would be huge. Soul species alone would be huge. Spacer (laughs) type alone would be huge. There's no such thing as a negative emotion alone would be huge. Um, Yeah. Well, the good good thing about this, I've been chewing on this for a while, but now I have to write a short uh, blog article for the new website on negation versus subtraction. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's such a great example because you can't, you can't deconstruct protection mechanisms if you can't see the truth in what they're trying to do because exactly. you'll be negating them. And yes. that means there's no soul home because soul doesn't negate. And now it's just one part of your protection mechanism trying to get rid of another part of you. Yep. And that's what most therapy is doing. Exactly. It's a negation thing, an offsetting, a compensating offsetting, thing. Offsetting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, is that when we negate an aspect of us via passive transcendence or active uh, dissolution or negation, uh, you're repeating exactly what your parents did to you uh, uh, when they could not um, support your way into wholeness. You have, they have to uh, uh, surgically remove or negate things to get to a place of um, supposed happiness or whatever. Oh man. I just got the image of how cancer cells reproduce when you said that. Can you, oh, that's a great, oh, can you put more words for uh, people? I don't really, know. I'm feeling there, there's a direct of, link. Go ahead. I just still, still feeling the nauseation of that. It's like, um, it's making my head spin. Why do cancer cells grow out of that miasma? Because the it's like the thumb over the garden hose thing. You, you the, the negation recapitulates the wound, and so it it's like by trying to get rid of something, you create more of what you're trying to get rid of. And that's the multiplication of cancer cells. It's creating more space to hold the thing that's been negated. So it has to like splinter and fragment and, and sort of insidiously fester somewhere below the surface. So, summarized by the well-known um, cultural meme of that which you resist persists. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, wow. So yeah, good that, what, good what unpacking a great, there, bud. That thank was you. Great. What what a great illustration of how um, 
you know, to summarize that, that how our protection mechanisms innocently and having no other way of going about it, they we end up trying to manage ourselves the same way our parents failed. Like yeah. we don't even really do the things with ourselves that worked because no. those things are immaterial. We don't have to manage the parts that worked. We're no. just left with the difficulties. And then we do the right. exact same thing to ourselves that they did to us. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. And, and that's just a, such a, a, a incandescent um, kind of uh, a metaphysical criticism of the negation-based psychology that has basically taken over, especially nowadays when it's not about causation, it's about practical ref reformation. Like it's cognitive behavioral about, therapy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not causation anymore. It's a, it's practicality and uh, reformation, reforming as opposed to healing that which was warped into straightness. And you see. Mm. Uh, it's just horrible uh, what's out there. Um, if you don't include emotion, if you don't see that emotions are upstream of energy and thoughts, you'll you'll never understand what we're talking about here in a metaphysical way. But we're we're just staying at the level of symptom that what you resist persists. So when you when your famous or when your psychologist or your shaman tells you to send white light at those cancer cells, um, you're actually feeding them. To grow bigger, which is why no one has ever stopped cancer by throwing white light at cancer <laughs> souls. Um, it's just will never work. It just makes it go. You die faster. We create we create relationship with the consciousness of the cancer and negotiate reality with it. We support why it's there, um, mm -hmm. but that's why cancers grow is because we negate. To heal, we negate our way to healing in this uh, thesis versus antithesis uh, nonsense. Uh, and uh, why and this philosophy of psychology has never really seen this? Well, they couldn't until they see that emotions are primary. So uh, they couldn't see this. Emotions are primary and, and also never negative. No, um, never. No such thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I think we maybe have already talked about it, but uh, then that um, to go back to this author's second point, the increased resilience through training thing, yeah. um, what control is trying to approximate that mm. is true. Well, um, we've talked about how control is uh, us becoming something that we're not in order to get along with our parents um, in order to get the love that we um uh, need, but I'm having a hard time finding the truth in that truth and service at the moment. I guess because well, we had to do it. For well, one. yeah, um, it's it's fairly it's right right there behind it. It's just you you look up you look at it by contrast. We're trying to manage ourselves yeah, yeah. because we weren't if we were raised emotively first by emotively mature parents, we'd never have to manage ourselves. So control is a wound-based form of the honest trying to manage our internal state into some sort of survival, thrival outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So management is the truth and control is the wound-based version of it, the truth and service when you, you negate your way instead of um, holify your way to mm -hmm. healing. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. You're brilliant that you meta metaized, not metastasized, <laughs> metasized uh, these uh, these um, uh, the truths and service of each of these because there's always something real in everything, uh, in everything. 
is it good to um, serve other people's needs sometimes more than serving yours in any narcissistic moment? Of course. Sure. Is it just as toxic sometimes to serve other people's needs before yours? Yes. It's an and, it's a continuum, it's a figure eight, not an either or. Oh my God. Yeah. And as we would say, the pursuit of happiness is entirely appropriate for lots of people. Yeah. And a necessary part of their development, just like yeah. a eight-year-old who is playing Connect Four or loves yeah. dinosaurs. And we would also say that's a phase of development that ultimately needs to be moved through. And that's not to say that it's bad. It's just to say no. that there's something after it. it yeah, it's a developmental rung. Um, uh, the diff, the, the good, diff, a good metaphor, it's a little um, extreme, but it still fits, is uh, a, a five-year-old or six-year-old playing t-ball. You know, the balls <laughs> sitting there on the thing and they swing and major league baseball. Um, uh, we, we, we offer the major league baseball version and a lot of, um, uh, of uh, early psychological and philosophical and psycho spiritual teachings are still at the level of T-ball. Yeah. Um, now, and why don't we, um, you know, have T-ball be a spectator sport and, and sell tickets to it? Why, why can't that be just as entertaining as Major League Baseball. Uh, yeah, the way where that person swings at putting, you can put a spin on a tee ball, uh, depending on where you hit it, below the, on the rubbery kind of thing. Um, <laughs> instead, we've got all this drama with the pitcher and the, and the batter and the battle between the wits and the skill. And oh my God, yeah. let's just do tee ball. Well, but I was coming at another angle. Yeah, I mean, we could look at it that way. But what I would say is that we intuitively know that Major League Baseball is that game at the highest level. Right. And we find the T-ball a hell of a lot less entertaining unless our kid is in the game. Right. <laughs> and then half the time, the rooting parents are living through the child because oh, they boy. need their child to succeed to serve their own self-image, right? Yes, and then they dislike the parents of the yeah. kids who's better than their kid or the opposing team, and yeah, they do all that. Oh, and then we, but I can't resist this. I'm so sorry. We go now. We go to professional sports. Uh, let's 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 do the World Cup or the Super Bowl. You know where you uh -huh. see people uh, after goals in in World Cup or in, in oh. Major League Soccer. <laughs> Altruism time. Yeah. They're all they're all looking up and they're saying thank you. And you'll see them crossing the after and kissing their lips. You know where they're, the two teams are praying to the same God to defeat the other. <laughs> goes all the way back to you know, 10,000 years ago. Yeah, certainly like the days of Napoleon, Franco-Prussian War. Yeah, for years, yeah. everybody praying to the one universal God so that they can triumph over the other children of God on the other side of the battlefield. If you all, if people only knew what divine being from its point of view, when it sees uh, subversions of itself praying to defeat and kill the other, um, and uh, comically, here's a good skit: divine being would say, "I'm. This is the point. This is what I'm unfolding into. <laughs> this is what I'm unfolding into. Um, and I love you all. And wow, one day you're going to see how silly all this is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> You wanted to talk about something else. Speaking of history, there was something uh -huh. I can, I, my brain did not capture it. I'm sure you remember what it was. Yeah, I though. do. Um, but are we, are we complete with this? With I, I, th I think so. I, there's, I can sense there's one more thing I wanted to say. Um, well, I mean, just, we've said this a number of times. If, um, you know, f for people who are pursuing happiness or, or who are happy, more power to you. 
Yes. Because the, and, and you and I, you've seen this 10 times as many times as I have, and I've seen it a lot. When people do start EBE, if there's any aspect of them that's still got a few toes in happiness, when shit gets hard, they will go back to that pursuit. Yeah. And so for EBE to be productive, ideally the person has really dead-ended happiness and milked it for all it's worth. So yeah. because otherwise it's the from from the protection's point of view, you you don't have any leverage with your protection if it still sees there's another way. Yes, right. That it could yeah, make workable. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, the the best candidates for for you know, for major league um, psycho spiritual and soulment uh, are those who have dead ended and happiness uh, seeking. Uh, they've tried everything and nothing works. Uh, they've tried to control their way. Um, they've tried to transcend their way. They've tried to um, mentalize their way. They've tried Altruize. to mm -hmm. their way. You know, uh, you've got to emotionalize your way, and that's the only real solution. Yeah, so. and that, and the, I think the the frustration in the part of me that wishes more people were interested in this work is that part of me or is that me? Yeah, my soul I don't think has a problem with it, and that's hard to swallow. Because <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, ah, oh, it's just it's so good. It keeps getting better. Why don't people care? Because it, it takes hundreds of lifetimes to dead end those other paths. Yes. And it absolutely. seems to be necessary. And Will it always be? We don't know. Well, yeah. All we can do is operate within the now and plant seeds for a hypothetical future, right? Um, and so when you get to a certain point, um, you see the positive in everything, but that doesn't mean you have to like uh, what goes out there in the name of healing. Yeah. The, if I could summarize my side, what, you what we've just done here is we have an entirely different paradigmatic meaning for the word healing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there, there are all sorts, there are a thousand different levels of healing depending on, again, we come back to the two of the th uh, the basic things uh, people are living in a world where they see all people are equated equal there's no difference in soul age there's no meta that way and there's no meta in how we're all different soul species which process realities differently when you're operating without either of those everything gets squashed into um, uh, shoehorning everything to try to make it all fit. Uh, um, and you, when you don't realize that, as I said so many times, I made identity because uh, there's no real um, honest, soulful, evolutionary dharmic path out there for older souls, elder mm -hmm. souls. There's just not. So all these others have to serve people. It's all good. Um, what, use whatever works. And if you dead end, over and over again, come knock on our door and see if we might have a reason why. That's all. That's all. So do I want more people to be interested in it? Yeah, I'd, li I, I'd like that. Um, I'd like for identity. I, I never wanted to be famous uh, hmm. ever. I, I love my privacy, but I want identity to be be um, <laughs> be uh, famous one day. More more out there in the world. My, my ex before Brie um, said, Oh, you want identity, or at the time, identity point 1.0 uh, to go out there, but you don't want to go out there. I, I think it seems like a dead end in, uh, to that, you. And I said, I humbly had to acknowledge the truth of that. Uh, that's a ridiculous uh, uh, um, projection. Um, but I, but uh, the honest part of it is I want this 
to go out there for people who are dead ending and have no understanding why they're dead ending, dead ending, and that we have another way to look at things. Yeah. So, yeah, just to be part of the conversation. I'm the same way. I mean, yeah. that my yeah. I've got protection mechanisms that want some fame, but when I actually look at what that would be like in any kind of way, it's like, yeah, I don't think. Uh, but but I would love to be able to, you know, um, have a go to the identity channel on Netflix and have identity yes. approved things and have scripts be right. different because I have to worry way too much about people's motivations when I consume entertainment. And certain yeah. things are just completely undigestible, and uh, news articles the same the same thing. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. just it's not a conscious world that we live in, um, and it's it's just painful. Yeah. So there, there's a, a related. Um, I, I, it's a tenuous bridge, but we uh, we're about in an hour now. We usually go ninety minutes uh, yeah. on average. So I, I got a thirty minute. Uh, Thing that semi relates uh, another whole direction, but it, it, it um, if we say that, oh, let's, let's my completing the happiness thing. I often say happiness is for insects. Um, uh, joy is for human beings. I think of that as mammals. Insects don't even seem happy or not. They're just they just are what they are. They're they're happy. Well, that that's the state of isness for them. That's uh, the uh, isness. Yeah. <laughs> they have the least uh, self awareness. Mammals have self awareness, just not self awareness of self awareness. But insects don't even have. They have a really the thinnest amount of uh, self awareness. Even a even an amoeba uh, has a little uh, a more uh, reactively with its environment. They're you know? very content focused. It's like insect, <laughs> the worm say. has an apple or doesn't have an apple. Having apples good, not having an apple is bad. Yeah. Right. So we, we aim at joy here, folks. And joy has nothing to do. Uh, joyful people have no need for the silly thing we call happiness because they're alive. They're alive. And that's joy. So Yeah. And aliveness inherent in it has joy and goodness that is irrespective of content. Yes. So to make us tenuous bridge to the last uh, few minutes here today, I, I just want to, um, for the scientists out there, or the astrophysicists out there, or to the empiricists out there, I'd like to correlate um, in, in 30 minutes or less, the cosmogony according to identity of how consciousness evolved and where the what happened at the Big Bang. I'd like to roll over and combine the cosmogony of identity, even with the timelines, with what astrophysicists have been learning about um, quantum entanglement, for example, and uh, the Big Bang. I'd like to just offer what the Big Bang was. We'll start with that according to identity, right? Cool. So um, in our picture, which we've gone over a little bit um, partially uh, in some detail in other podcasts, but let's summarize it, that um, uh, the basic cosmogony uh, is that um, uh, one day uh, divine being realized it existed. Uh, it's first in, and, and then the second real that was his first realization that it, it realized that it had to have existed before it realized that it existed. And uh, the first realization was the young version of God. And the uh, when it realized that there was a God, it must have been previous to that it would allow the to realize that it existed, pre-existed. Uh, that's the yin version of God, divine being. They got together in various and sundry uh, ways, uh, impossible to resist the yin and yang. And that's why we have 
um, all the way down at this end, uh, yin and yang, not male and female, but yin and yang uh, uh, in that way. At any rate, uh, they got together and their first children were um, uh, basically uh, uh, three uh, children and, uh, and, two, and two more angel souls, three angel soul species and two angel soul species that were their, um, you could say their uh, uh, grand nephews and nieces or something. Uh, that's another whole story. But the angel, five angel kingdom of Luciferite, um, uh, uh, Uriolite, um, um, Gabrielite, uh, um, Raphaelite and Michaelite in the reverse order uh, were five angel kingdoms and that was was, was first created and uh, at one point divine being uh, and it's, it unfolded itself in these five angel soul species directly or semi-directly um, uh, whether you believe that Raphaelites and Uriolites were children in a secondary way of Gabrielites and Michaelites and Gabrielites and Luciferites is not as so much it's not such a big deal. Um, you could also say that the, rough, the all five were rolled out. The first three were rolled out first, and then uh, uh, the combination sort of evolved out of those three. It doesn't really matter. At any rate, uh, the Luciferites, um, in what was uh, in ancient uh, Judaism, of course, and then in Christianity, uh, both of which are nonsense, that there was a fall from grace. Lucifer uh, thought uh, he was wiser than God and was cast into hell. Well, identity completely and hell is outside of God somehow, right? Well, it has yeah. to be right. Um, yeah, <laughs> God can't. Hell can't be inside of God because God is all good and hell is all evil. So, right. um, of course, identity says there's no hell because nothing can be outside of God. Basic metaphysics. Don't not to worry. I'm getting to make my point. I promise. Sorry, I couldn't and, resist. And, no, no, that's fine. No, <laughs> please do. So at the end, uh, the fall of uh, of Lucifer was simply the um, the Luciferites were uh, the heaviest uh, soul species, and uh, divine being wanted to unfold through their imprimatur uh, to consciousnessness uh, hap ha happening. Uh, in ever more dense forms, uh, and that evolved through 11 more um, uh, 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 soul species down the line of the angel kingdom until uh, uh, this universe, not, not the earth, but this whole physical universe unfolded out of divine being. That happened almost 14 billion years ago. The Big Bang was the creation the unfoldment of divine being into what we call the physicalized dark energy, dark matter, light matter, all of this whole physicalized universe, which is ever expanding, supposedly. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the birth of uh, this universe happened almost 14 billion years ago. How much time uh, is that in angel kingdom time, though? Well, there, there's no time there, but, but there's still a right question. Okay. Think of the 10 other soul species that were unfolding must have started hundreds of billions of years ago because the last of the 11, you could do the math right, on this, yeah. the last of one blasted open um, uh, to create the physical universe before there was any inhabitants of it. That was 14 billion years ago, almost 14 billion years ago. So do the math, uh, uh, ten, uh, 10 different soul species, if they all took um, uh, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know how you factor that in. I'm not. They I all took do. 14 billion years or so. Yes. Well, that's 14 times 10, 140 billion years. You that's know, that's a lot of so years. The angel kingdom is over 200 billion years. You know, uh, old. Uh-huh. So after a certain point, the mind boggles. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. But the Big Bang was uh, was the creation of this universe, uh, the last and most dense universe in the consciousness quotient of the unfolding divine being. Now, a really funny thing happened. Oh, so so that, that happened. But already the previous soul species were already getting inhabited. Uh, they were already ensouling. At each of these soul species, the heaviest, the lightest Lucifer lights, then divine being made more souls that were just like uh, the lightest Lucifer lights, and then all the way those 10, 11 more. Oh, that's why people are lined up to be here, because there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity. It's like the place yes. just opened. Relative it just to their realms. Yeah. 14 billion years ago. There's plenty of room, folks. <laughs> but here's the cool thing is that um, <laughs> why there was certain something happened and scientists all agree that seven and a half billion years ago, about half from the time of Big Bang till now, the universe started ex- accelerating in expansion. Uh, and, and they've, they've, of course, they've got the cosmological constant. Poor Einstein had uh, hemorrhoids because of trying to figure out uh, how to account for um, uh, expansion of the universe. Uh, it went from being a flat universe, according to um, Einstein, eventually had to buy into the fact that the universe was something much more mysterious. But think about it for a moment. Seven and a half billion years ago, this universe started expanding. And they, the only reason they can talk about astrophysically What's causing? Well, there's this dark energy. Dark matter uh, accounts for uh, the gravitational aspects of um, of galaxies and stuff. Uh, they know there's a lot more black matter or dark matter because uh, light bends around way more in a factor around distant galaxies than the mass that we see. Mm-hmm. So they can infer that there's more dark matter. But uh, that explains gravitational anomalies uh, in the way light uh, passes through gravity. But, but the expansion of the universe, that's dark energy. So they can't figure out dark energy is responsible for the expansion. Seven and a half billion, all of a sudden it started expanding at a faster rate. It was a steady rate until seven and a half billion years ago. And all of a sudden it started expanding that rate of expansion. Well, that was when this dead universe started to get ensouled consciousnesses. Dark mm-hmm. energy is, is soul energy coming in. It had to expand to take in, uh, to make room for ensoulment energy in this otherwise lifeless universe, starting with um, this, the smallest of, um, of little beings uh, in, the, in the oceans and stuff. That's for the vehicles. But uh, when the universe uh, seven and a half billion years ago started expanding, dark energy was, is what all we can call it. But what it was, was ensoulment. Souls started pouring in to this universe. Oh, that were not already here. So that sort of of violates the law of conservation of mass in a way, or Uh, conservation of energy. 
it, you could say that in a Newtonian way. It came from in another Newtonian realm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Prior to seven and a half billion years ago, it was still forming um, uh, planetary systems that would ex ex create the elements necessary for what we call life. And so, at that point, it became just cool, cooled off enough uh, mm -hmm. for and souls to start um, basically uh, ensoulment energy, and that's dark energy. So the because, matter and energy was in homeostasis until then. Exactly. Souls started coming in here, and then that increased the uh, the amount of energy yeah wow exactly so with that expansion is simply got unfolding more space for souls to inhabit this uh this particular universe so that's why it's expanding the, the, they'll never find out what dark energy is and, until they see it uh as um a plasma theoria Mm -hmm. uh, the substance of soulfulness that we could call it. Yeah. Plasma. It's sort of like, you know, they building, you build Disneyland and, and there's nobody showing up yet. And then yeah. you opened it and it's like, Whoa, there's a lot more energy here. Yeah. You open, yeah. <laughs> you open the thing. That's right. And then, then they had to keep expanding Disneyland and physically to accept all the crowds that were coming uh -huh. in. I mean, it was, it was a great metaphor, uh -huh. but there's one other element here and we're complete here. Um, and, and that is, uh, that, when we talk about the plasma theory, um, that which is the soulfulness of inorganic matter, okay? Inorganic matter precipitates out of the plasma theory. Um, and the plasma theory is simply what scientists are calling uh, uh, the quantum foam. The quanta uh, at, the, at the basis, smallest level, especially where we get into um, the, uh, the, the uh, things of quantum entanglement, and this is where we can complete our nice little uh, comparison or overlay here of identity that, you know, in uh, the simplest terms, quantum entanglement is when um, uh, like aspects of one particle of an entangled pair um, depend on the aspects of, of the other particle, no matter another that it's twinned with no matter how far away they are uh, cosmically mm -hmm. well what what this this they're describing here is a is holo arcle they can't oh. they don't have a holo arcle picture but in the whole in the whole arcle picture the simplest is what we're inside of is also inside of us but when it comes to matter at the level of the plasma theory quanta quantum field uh it's holo arcle that Two, two particles uh, uh, a, a billion light years apart could be doing the same thing at the same moment. That's because everything's inside of everything else that it's also inside of. And so that is so wild. I never made that connection. Wow. Yeah. And of course, science yeah. can't get their heads around that no. because no. the mind is hierarchical and so is their paradigm. So it's right. this big mystery that they're going to keep trying to solve hierarchically and never arrive at an, at an explanation that satisfies their paradigm. No, and you know, I, just, I read an article recently that said, is the whole universe a quantum field? And, and, I, and I, of course, I said, of course it is. It's plasma theoric in origin, right? Mm. But there's one other cool element here, Joseph. Uh, in, the, in quantum entanglement theory, uh, no matter how far apart those two particles are, no matter what, how far apart they are or what lies between them, that's exactly what happens when we're the one particle and divine being is another particle, uh, a, 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 provenant, a providential particle, but um, we're part of it and it's part of us. No matter how far that is, we're always relating 
Uh, I'm uh, all of us in, who, uh, who've got uh, the CQ to one day experience it. We're relating every moment in divine being. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting every moment in divine being. We're mid, midway experiencing everything in divine being, and we're ending every moment in divine being. And when you have that seamless kind of thing, you're talking about the quantum entanglement of us as children of God and the divine being that's our provenance. Mm-hmm. So that's a short version of um, how that correlates directly to what scientists are breaking their eggheads over, um, <laughs> trying to reduce everything to the smallest thing to get, as we say so often, reductionism. And then you needing to use mathematical language because it's not common sense. Uh, and even mathematical language only uh, starts breaking down. That starts even breaking down. They can't predict whether a particle is going to be a particle or a a, um, a, a, a photon, a photon or a wave, mm-hmm. um, and this is again um, the unfolding of divine being in both energy and in mass. Uh, so, in this sense, uh, identity can can I could address uh, um, an astrophysical society and correlate all of their observation and answer questions to uh, what they would ask, and I could give spiritual answers for why they can't get any further with their minds. Because a holoarchy, WH, holoarchy cannot be envisioned by the mind. Yeah, with a big PS, and by the way, you're never going to find God either for the same reason. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's found with a different organ called the the heart of soul, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that accesses divine being. So in that sense, uh, divine uh, identity has an answer for what dark energy is, dark matter. Um, it's just a, a little more dense version prior to the quantum field of soulfulness uh, inhabiting the inorganic uh, um, universe. Yeah, so, I never thought before about how quantum mechanics is sort of a result of science dead-ending its own paradigm, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, it just keeps creating yeah. more questions. It's not... It's not creating yeah. nearly as many answers as Newtonian physics did. That was very like, oh, and we understand this, we understand this. And then since quantum mechanics, it's like, and now we want to know this, and now we want to know this. And is this the No, what? It's creating, it's going outward and creating more questions than answers. Yeah. And every, every day I'll read something, a different particle, a quantum particle, a muon, a muon that's got flavor, a muon that's got color. I yeah. mean, there, there's poor, poor guys, you know, they're, they're, and, and women, they're just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and when it's not providing more answers, but more questions, hello, <laughs> you're at a Peter principle place here. Uh, it's uh, not, a, it's not rocket science, so to speak, you know? So I wanted to overlay that um, identity is intimately um, uh, commensurate with the physical universe and uh, not apart from it. Like mm. uh, exactly what we started this segment about that hell is some side outside of God or that matter is some side out, somehow outside of God. And, it's all inside of God. And identity can, since I was raised a scientist, I, I can cast certain scientific um, uh, profundities uh, in relation and correlate, uh, correlation to uh, the picture of identity. And that's an emotion first based paradigm. So that's why the scientists will always dead end because they start with the mind and not with the heart. Yeah. That's the. So that's all. Want to just add that? Yeah, that's bit? all. Just, just that. <laughs> yes. Well, because oh, I, I knew I had a way to tie it up with a nice bow. Is that um, we get to healthy contentment or joyfulness 
when seemingly unrelated dynamical questions finally have a way to agree. For me, that's a piece of joy. Uh, and joy is a mature form of happiness. So it does relate to your happiness, the, the happiness topic today, only at the deepest, most profound level, that it's joyful when nothing contradicts anything else. Mm -hmm. Nothing in the holarchy of divine being contradicts anything else. And once you get to that level of CQ, then it just becomes, uh, what is the word, the French word, uh, not menagerie, but um, uh, the joie de vivre, uh -huh. uh, the joie de vivre of everything making heart sense, not just head sense, but heart sense. Yeah. I can't think of a better place to conclude our episode there, heart sense. Yep. Yeah. And heart I'm going to call this episode, Why You'll Never Be Happy. Okay. <laughs> oh, Joseph, you have the best titles of these things. I, 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 your brain is so perfectly suited for that. I love it. I love it. Why you'll never be happy. <laughs> yeah. Because I can just imagine be like, what? I'm going to, you can't tell me. Yeah. You're supposed to be provocative. And you know, with all the, it's, 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 it's funny to play around with the, you know, marketing type stuff because I yeah. have a few toes still left in there and all of the science with, uh, emails shows that when you, when you have a negating subject line like that, uh -huh. people right. respond to it, like stop yes. making this mistake. <laughs> You'll never be happy. It draws people yes. in because that's how they already work. So why yeah, it's not? Homeopathic. It's homeopathic. Yeah. Right. right. So now you know, you'll never be happy and it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank God you'll never be happy. Because if you finally really get happy, you're just, you're just going to be stuck. <laughs> where, in, where in, in fact, I'm going to add that right on there. And it's not your fault because yes. that's the kinder, gentler yes. version of it. Yeah. Good for so, you, Mr. Man. Well, thank you, Stace, for being here. And uh, this was a delightful conversation. I've been itchy to talk about happiness recently because... Sometimes mm -hmm. it just makes me unhappy, that concept. And so <laughs> thanks for the conversation today. You betcha. So um, in the meantime, if, you, if you're pursuing happiness as a listener, we wish you so well with that. We say double down on that fucking concept. Do everything you possibly can to make yourself happy because that's exactly yes. what you need to do to get to the place where you can start a new arc of soulful fulfillment leaving happiness oh, in the dust. Be oh, beautifully said. You know, I just got a, a half a, a, a minute here, a 40 seconds correlate. You have to be monogamally committed to ever find out the deepest version of what intimate relationship uh, uh, has for you. And that's a correlate to dead ending. We mm. never say in, in identity that, that relationships fail. They complete or they don't complete, but they don't fail. Uh, it's not anyone's fault, uh, no matter how much finger pointing wants to be there. Um, and so the, you have to commit all the way in monogamally to find out what, what any relationship, intimate relationship has for you uh, emoto soulfully. Same principle here. You've got to go whole hog, commit. You got to be monogamous, uh, not only in your paradigm, even if you're a, cher a cherry picker, yeah. uh, you've, uh, you've got it one day, if you could cherry pick away until each one of them dead end to you, um, but do one at a time. Uh, it'll get you there. It'll save you hundreds of lives 
If yeah. you stop cherry picking and just sequen be sequentially monogamous with your paradigms, yeah. I, use them up, throw them away, go to the next one. Uh, but if you, because you try to do them all at once, you're going to add hundreds of lifetimes to yeah, your Yeah, it's like trying to learn age. 10 languages at once. You're not going to learn any of them very well, and you'll right. never know which one you like to speak the best. You know? <laughs> That's and right. it's. Well, it's also another um, uh, connection to the true part of training and the discipline thing. It's like oh, to yes. be paradigmatically disciplined is a good thing yes. uh, and to do one at a time. What were you going to say? Nothing. Uh, just uh, that, that um, well, that's such an ache in my heart. Uh, I can accept fully and embrace fully the necessity to, to commit to everything whole fully uh, be, until you dead end. And I just, I'm, I just got a little, um, thanks for, for noticing that. I got a little whimsical there um, and a oh, kind of a, a sigh of acceptance. Uh, just because you fully and hopefully accept something, uh, heartfully, doesn't mean you have to like it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are mis misunderstand it unless they want to get to a place where their acceptance means that they like whatever they accepted. And that's a, that's a crazy, that's a crazy making place. The only way you really can accept is if you don't have to like it. That's well, the true acceptance. Right? Yeah. Because the, the idea that you have to like it and accept it excludes yeah. the superior consciousness and intelligence of God. Absolutely. It, it can know better than you and you don't have yes. to like where it's directing you in no. step one, no. two or three. You know, maybe by the time you get to four or five, you realize it's actually good for you, but you may not like it in the beginning. No, I, I fully accept the young souls of Josh Hawley and, and uh, the Orange Man and the MAGA worldview. Um, uh, I accept fully, but I don't have to like it and I don't. Uh, because I, I they're all souls, brothers and sisters of, of mine. Um, so I can be sad or dislike the dead ends that they don't know they're creating for themselves. Uh, that's what I don't like. And so, yeah, I got a little whimsical there uh, in, in the last thing you said about um, about how we've got to we've got to go through everything, hopefully, and accept it all in a way you were in the undercurrent. Yeah. And related to all of this, I don't like working with people who are still sampling the teachings mm -hmm. that we're offering and yeah. have one foot in and one foot out. I'd rather yeah. be teaching people who are fully committed. Yeah. But I surrender to who shows up. And if yes. they're mm -hmm. not wholly committed, then maybe there's some way in which I'm not. Or maybe there's something I'm supposed to. I mean, I, some, maybe sure. I already know there's patience yes. and compassion yeah. and meeting sure. people where they are and 10 other yeah. things that I learned from doing that. So, no, yeah. I don't like that. But obviously, it's what I need to grow. So, you know. I'll, so I commit all the way and say, as my lady says, uh, Amor Fate, I love my fate. You know, <laughs> give me more people who half-acidly are experimenting with identity type stuff. And so I can hit my head against the wall going, oh, for fuck's sake, if you just went all the way in, maybe something could move. Yes. And at the end of that frustration, I'm sure there's some enormous lesson for me. And, I'm, and I sometimes sure. get glimpses of that. So what so is, is. What, what, what is, is, and that's what Joseph just said is the best example of just because you fully embrace and accept something doesn't mean you have to like it. Take that in because that's a whole other, that's a big enough hole to drive yeah. a paradigm. Well, through. that's outside the happiness paradigm. The happiness yes, paradigm uh, is right. 
if I'm going to choose this and accept this, I have to like it because that makes me happy. It's like when you you were to say to someone like, okay, this is what you need to do and Uh you're going to not like it. They'd be like, what? But I'm because they unconsciously are like, well, that's not going to make me happy. And you're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) But like, look at what the difference between if if you go to the gym and work out versus hire a trainer who's going to work you out. Yeah. Guess who's guess which one you're going to enjoy more. <laughs> and yeah, guess you'll, you'll make all the boundaries. Yeah. And stop sooner at the gym. Right? And the, yeah. And in, in, in education theory, this is demonstrated again and again when they, they, they teach people, people some stuff and then they test them on it. And then they ask them like questions about was this their preferred way of learning? You know, because this has been very popular for like the last 20 years. Oh, I learned this way. And this is my learning style. What they found is. About 80% of the time, people are not good evaluators of their most effective learning style. They are not. So that means when someone says, I learn best by, they're wrong the vast majority (laughs) of the time. 80% of the time. They're wrong because what they're really saying is, I learn most comfortably this way, and that's less than learn best. Oh, lol. That was a great distinction. Or it makes me happy when I learn this way. Great. And, And look what we do in identity, Joseph. I learn best by feeling my way through any conference, any sort of conundrum, right? Um, I learn best that way. And if I try to learn with my head or my will, um, uh, I may be, I might get more settled sooner. But um, it's, I, if, if I said I learn best by knowing, um, if I define knowing as the result of my mind making sense, um, I'm going to be wrong. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I, there's 20 percent of us that uh, do know what their best learning thing is. And and we make the stupendously arrogant assertion that if everybody got the most honest they could, they would realize that feeling their way through everything is all of our not only our origins, but our destinations. Amen. And for that reason, identity the way it operates is generally speaking not on your terms yes <laughs> and that's the hardest by def- thing by definition by definition that's the hardest thing people um hardest thing for people to get because they're used to change being on their terms yes. and that's just a limit just like with the personal trader thing you're not going to work that's out as hard that's why people taste or sample identity and go away because they it's got to be on their terms but you know what there are lifetimes where you do have to obey things on your terms it's just a it's just a younger version of consciousness yeah yeah Yeah. i i i know i know better than um like i've i maxed out my own terms like yes um, (laughs) identity tends to do that doesn't it yeah for for all of us me included me included uh i don't know best right Mm, amen not on my terms all right well we tried to finish before and we couldn't so let's try again thank you stace this was a super rich conversation and thank you you for listening tune in next time i don't know what we're talking about but we'll figure it out or feel it out the divine being will evolve it will unfold it in us and we'll we'll know feel it out yeah all right until next time bye for now Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.